0: So we continue in our extended and every Sunday further extended excursus on Thanksgiving. But we are making progress. Sorry, I'm distracted here. This this must be distracting, huh? It's like right in your eyes here. I think it's distracting to me. Maybe that's all it is. I look over there and see the sun coming in. So we got here because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, chapter 1, verse 2, Paul begins to recount to the Thessalonians the thanksgiving he gives to God on their account because of what he sees God doing through his grace in their lives. And so before we even kind of got into the content of that thanksgiving, we just observed how... Paul, like right out of the gate, is just sharing with them his thanksgiving. And this is not uncharacteristic of him. This is something that he's regularly doing in his letters, recounting to people the thanksgiving he gives to God for them. He's encouraging people to give thanks. It's summed up in a simple way, like Thanksgiving was a priority for Paul. And we observed that, and so we took some time then to kind of first explore why was it a priority for Paul. So we first looked at some of his other letters where we get a little bit of an insight into how he thinks about Thanksgiving and we saw why it was some measure of why it was so important to him. But there wasn't a whole lot to find because so much of this just remains an assumption for Paul. He assumes we know why, right? We can sort of see it coming through, but we don't have the full explanation. So then we went to the Old Testament to try to understand a bit more about why that is, why it was such a priority for Paul, and that was helpful. I think we saw a whole lot more there that explained how Paul thought about Thanksgiving. And we wrapped that up uh, last week. And so now, for the last little bit of time we have on this little excursus, my goal is just to help us think practically, maybe we could say boots on the ground kind of way about how do we grow in gratitude? How do we grow in gratitude? But before we get there, let's just kind of summarize some of the significant takeaways from that biblical perspective on Thanksgiving that we saw. Some significant takeaways from our study of the biblical perspective on Thanksgiving. First, Thanksgiving to God is one of the major ways we glorify God. Most of this should be review. I might word things a little bit differently, but it should be review from things you have in your notes from previous weeks. Here, I've bundled together the proposition that thanksgiving is essentially praise or essentially glorifying God and that it is our privilege and responsibility in the covenant. Remember, we talked about how it's our privilege and responsibility to give thanks to God. And so it's kind of brought those two together in this point. We might think about this in relation to the first question of the Westminster Catechism. The question says, what is the chief and highest end of man? I'm just thinking, for those of us who are are not Presbyterians, like everyone knows even the first question, right? We don't know any further. Like, can we go any further? I don't know. I don't know any more than that. But at least the first question, we know that one. Um, (laughs) What is the chief and highest end of man? Answer... Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. And so we might relate this insight about a biblical approach to thanksgiving by adding, and a principal way we glorify God is by thanking him, right? So our end is to glorify God, enjoy him forever. And one of the principal ways that we've seen from our study, we glorify God is by thanking him. So I put in that context. It just helps me to see, wow, that is a significant responsibility. Thanksgiving's not a small matter. It's not a kind of good if you can, not a problem if you don't kind of thing. Rather, it's central to what we were created for and central to what we've been redeemed for. As I stated several weeks ago, one of the surest ways to waste your life is to fail to live a life of thanksgiving to God. And I stayed intentionally that way because so often, wasting our life is not a matter of something you intentionally set out to do. It's more a matter of what you drift into when you're passive. Whether you think of the passage in Hebrews 2 about drifting, how that's naturally what happens, or even the Proverbs. The naive person, that person who's kind of undecided between the ways of wisdom and folly, he doesn't stay there forever until he makes a commitment. The naive way automatically routes you onto the way of folly until you make a decision proactively to take the path of wisdom. And so that's why I stayed that way, to fail to live a life of thanksgiving to God. It's not something we really have to choose to do. It's to not choose to be intentional about thanking the Lord. So that's the first one. A second significant takeaway. Biblical thanksgiving is God-centered. It is focused on rendering due praise to him, not self-focused in the sense of improving our self-esteem, happiness, mood, etc. Now, we spent a fair bit of time on this one um, in past weeks. First one time I kind of taught it, and then we came back and covered it a bit more and kind of talked it through a bit more. So I don't want to spend too long elaborating this. The point is simply that our culture has an appreciation for gratitude, but in a watered-down form. A form that doesn't have God at its center, but rather really has self at its center. Gratitude is often promoted because of the way it can improve our lives. It's really a gratitude without an end, right? Without a receiver, without someone to whom we're grateful. It's more just a sense that we are grateful. And so I want to appeal to us to give thanks to God because He's worthy of it. Not simply because we have in view whatever benefits we can gain from that sort of posture. Not because it will help us serve ourselves. And as we talked about before, I'll mention it again. It's important here to add a caveat. Obedience, you know, in the sense of living as God intends us to live, has called us to live. Obedience of that sort is good for us. I don't want to miss that. Like, that's a truth that we don't, I don't want to leave out or neglect or, or reject and we don't have to, though, deny that or refuse to think about it when it comes to our primary motivation for being grateful. And it's, if, if our primary motivation is because that promises a happier life for me, then it's not really God-oriented Thanksgiving. It's really self-oriented idolatry. And a very helpful article, some of you guys have probably written, Mark Hager often recommends it, by David Powellson, titled Idols of the Heart and Vanity Fair, If you have not read that article, it is a profoundly insightful article on what goes on in our hearts with sin. Um, And I'm pretty sure we could probably, even though it's in a journal that you have to pay to subscribe to, I think under, like, what do you call it? Educational use copyright laws. I could probably share that with you guys if you have an interest. So let me know if you do. It's very useful. He uses this category, though, and he creates a word here, but I think it makes sense. You functional idols. You in the sense of EU. You know, we put EU on the front of words, euphony, and it means good, right? The EU prefix means something is good. And so you functional idol means an idol that functions well for us in life. Here he's just talking about taking some of God's instructions and following it for the sake of how our lives can be better but never actually changing kind of who we worship, the object of our worship. So you functional idolatry in his category is basically taking some of God's instructions and saying, I can actually see I have enough insight to see that that would lead to a better life for me in doing it, but never actually turning from worshiping ourselves or idolatry to worshiping God. And he's saying that in the context of just being cautious in the category of discipling people, counseling people, that you could easily begin putting someone on a path like that and think they're now a convert to Christ when they really aren't. You've simply given them what appears to be a more more effective way to worship themselves. Here's an example. I don't know if this is what Paulson used or not, but it might be related to something he did in there, but it's at least an example that will be helpful. You take a guy who's enslaved to some substance, he's ruining his marriage, His children have no respect for him. Uh, He's about to lose his job. And then someone encourages him, come to Jesus, repent of substance abuse, start focusing on being a family man. They point out all the mess that he's created through his substance abuse and tell him that he, he can do far better for himself and his family if he will just come to Jesus, stop doing these things, clean up his life. He does that. And he finds that the benefits of no longer having his wife nagging him, his kids despising him and worrying about his job is a benefit worth giving up the substance. So he sticks with it. Now, we're often likely to count him a convert to Christ, and he might be. We don't know, but he may have just replaced one route for worshiping himself with another one, having never turned from idolatry to worshiping God. And my concern is that, with this point, is that we be able to see the difference between a worldly form of gratitude that really is quite anemic, it's just the skeleton of gratitude, we be able to see the difference between that and the robust, God-centered, biblical gratitude, and that we not settle for the lesser watered-down counterfeit. Yes, that latter Biblical, God-centered, robust gratitude is good for us, but that shouldn't be our primary motivation to be pursuing it. It's a bit paradoxical, like the words of Jesus, that whoever wishes to save his life must lose it, and whoever loses his life will save it. The moment you begin trying to make saving your life the primary goal, you're guaranteed to lose it. I think the same thing's true. The moment you begin making yourself and your self-fulfillment the primary goal, You're certain to never achieve it. As long as you lose sight of yourself and worship the Lord, that you can actually live in the fullness of life that he promises. So biblical thanksgiving is God-centered, focused on rendering due praise to him, not self-focused in the sense of improving our self-esteem, happiness, or mood. A third significant takeaway from our study of the biblical perspective on thanksgiving. One of the central things we give thanks for is Christ's death and resurrection. And since I said central there, I probably should have said the central thing. Um, it's fine to say one if, if I say one of, the, one of the things we give thanks for, but when we say central, probably it should be the central thing we give thanks for is Christ's death and resurrection. This is by far the greatest gift the Lord has given to us. And it's the foundation for the new covenant. It's the foundation for our relationship to God. It's the foundation for all of the blessings that we enjoy from him. And the Lord, even as we got a chance to celebrate this morning, has lovingly built in this structure into the life of the church where we regularly partake of the Lord's Supper, right? To remind ourselves of this. Now, I hope that we are on our own remembering Christ's death and resurrection far more often than once a month as we celebrate it here. But it's just wonderful that we, like that's built into the routine. Christ knew it was so important that he instituted this reminder for us regularly to be remembering this so in all our thanksgiving which i pray abounds and more and more as we think more about this let us not forget to thank the lord for christ's death and resurrection and even make it the central reason central thing for which we give thanks a fourth significant takeaway thanksgiving is one of the chief characteristics of our transformed life And here I'm referring to what previously in past weeks I referred to as um, Thanksgiving being in the category of ethics. Thanksgiving being in the category of ethics. When we turn to Christ, we're turning away from idolatry and deeds of the flesh to Christ. And according to Paul, one of the chief things we're putting on, one of the chief characteristics of the new life is Thanksgiving. Remember those lists where Paul's like, here's all the things you're going to put off, the deeds of the flesh, and then in some of them, like that Colossians passage, and on the positive side, be thankful. Like that's, that's the one thing he gives as one of those characteristics of the new life we have in Christ. Another significant takeaway, thanksgiving motivates many other good works. That is, thanksgiving is not only a good thing in itself— but it contributes, we might say, a synergy in our lives in that it motivates doing good in other areas. If you grow in Thanksgiving, it won't be limited just to that area of Thanksgiving. It will inevitably spill over into many other areas. Another takeaway, number six here. Thanksgiving has a multiplying effect at the community level. That is, as you give thanks publicly, others are encouraged to take note of what God is doing and thank him for it as well. Thanksgiving has a multiplying effect at the community level. And finally, number seven, Thanksgiving for what God has done in the past nurtures trust in him for the future. So those are some of the significant takeaways from our study of a biblical perspective on Thanksgiving. And In many ways, that's the foundation for moving into practice might say application. So I just wanted to bring those all back before us because I know they were kind of spread out over, I don't know what it was, three or four weeks of studying this. So there they are kind of pulled back together. Now we'll take some time to consider practically how we can take what we've learned about the priority of Thanksgiving for Paul and grow so that it becomes a similar priority for us. Growing in gratitude. As we think about how we change day by day, putting off grumbling and putting on thanksgiving, or quite frankly, sometimes it's not necessarily even putting off grumbling, it's putting off complacent, inattentive, lack of thanksgiving, and putting on thanksgiving. As we pursue that kind of change, there are lots of things we can talk about that I might put under the category of technique, You know, disciplines we can put into our lives to help us with that. And those are good things, and I hope we'll get there. But that's not the most foundational thing we need to give attention to when it comes to growing in this area. The primary thing we need to think about, as with really every other area of transformation in the Christian life, is mind renewal. Mind renewal. We sin because we are deceived. Because we're believing lies. We don't sin while we're believing the truth. I can guarantee you that in the moment of sinning, there are truths you're rejecting. That you might say, in terms of like a confessional statement, no, I still believe that, but functionally, you aren't believing that if you will do that action. We sin only when we are deceived. To say it another way, temptation depends on deception. When we view a temptation through the lens of truth, its power evaporates. It is only as we begin to believe the lies built into temptation that we actually begin to find temptation appealing. And so, building on that truth, and that's something I would love to take more time and work out for you, Um, I think that's probably been done in numerous contexts here at TBC, but um, for the sake of just applying that for now, I'm going to leave it there. But the principle to take away regarding mind renewal here is that the epicenter of transformation in the Christian life, when I think of it as ground zero, the front lines of the fight, the point at which the battle will be won or lost, is in identifying the lies we are believing that lead us to sin, in our case, ingratitude, and identifying the truths we need to believe that when believed will cause thanksgiving to flow out of us. That is the process of mind renewal. So with regard to thanksgiving, we need to be considering two things, and they're just two sides of one coin. First, what are the truths that when believed encourage thanksgiving to God? that's the first thing we need to be thinking about under this category of mind renewal what are the truths that when believed encourage thanksgiving to God and then the flip side of that really it's the same point just the opposite side what are the lies that when believed pull us away from thanksgiving to God so I'm putting it here as like definitively this is truth number one we could probably reorder this or formulate these truths a bit differently but here is a critical truth That we must be believing if we're going to be giving thanks to God. First, every good thing comes from God. Seems pretty basic, doesn't it? And it's hard to imagine that we might sometimes, when we're, or specifically when we are failing to be grateful, that we might not be believing that. Right? For many of us, you might say, I don't think there's ever been a time that I haven't believed that, or at least since my conversion. To say it another way, God is the source of every good thing we enjoy. Therefore, we should thank him for every good thing we enjoy. And since I doubt that many of us would dispute this, I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time walking through a truckload of biblical passages that teach that every good thing comes from God. The issue is not that we consciously reject it as a part of our doctrinal confession, but that we subtly, even without realizing it, begin to live as if it weren't true. And for that reason, the most effective strategy in pursuing mind renewal in this area is not going to be spending a whole lot of time looking at a whole bunch of texts, because we, we could spend weeks going through texts that teach this truth. But to think through some of the subtle ways we practically deny this so that we can be more conscious of the process and ready to bring this truth to bear on our thinking. So if we're looking at this and saying, I don't know that I've ever rejected that, and yet we fail to be grateful, my, my thesis for you is that in those moments where we aren't being grateful, we aren't actually practically believing this. Let's see what that looks like and how it is that we need to apply this truth to our thinking in those moments. But I don't want to totally skip over looking at biblical truth and just simply assume it, right? I think that's something we can all agree to. But if we assume truth too often, then we just begin to kind of live on the basis of our traditions. And we always want to be coming back to scripture. So just a few passages. First, Psalm 104, 10 to 17. I've got that up here. You're welcome to look it up, but to keep keep us moving along quickly through this. Psalm 104 is a beautiful psalm of thanksgiving to God, observing creation and all that the Lord does, and really just praising him for it. And here's just one excerpt from it. He sends forth springs in the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They lift up their voices among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine, which makes man's heart glad so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food, which sustains man's heart. The trees of the Lord drink their fill, the cedars of Lebanon, which he planted where the birds build their nests and the stork whose home is in the fir trees. So this section of this psalm focuses primarily on water, whether it's the water bubbling out of the ground in springs or the rain that falls from the sky. And it traces all of this, though, to God's provision, right? Through this mean, God provides grass for the cattle, vegetation and other food, wine for humanity, Now, this text isn't comprehensive enough to teach that every good thing comes from God, but at least that water and produce from the ground come ultimately from him. Here's another one, Psalm 145, 15 to 16. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. So here we see that God is the source for all the provision of humanity as well as for every creature. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. Here's another one. Acts 14, 17. Acts 14, 17. And yet he, that is God, did not leave himself without witness in that he, God, did good. And gave you rains from heaven in fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So we see here that God is the source of rain, produce, food, and in this context, even for unbelievers, He's the source of all those things. Now, those three texts we've looked at so far all show us various ways at various times that God is taking responsibility for providing things for people. But none of them actually went so far as to say that every good thing comes from God as its source. But here is one passage that is that explicit, James one seventeen. Now, I, I think there are probably everywhere biblical authors assume that that premise is true, and that's why they can make all of these individualized statements. But here's one text where it's unmistakable, James one seventeen. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So here we see very clearly that every good thing comes from God. So just kind of establishing what we already knew that that's what the scriptures teach. What are the ways that we deny this truth? What are the practical ways we deny this truth? What are the things we're thinking when we are ungrateful, when we're not giving thanks. One I can think of, here's basically the lie, it just happened. That is attributing responsibility to impersonal causes such as natural processes. So just functionally as we are enjoying the blessings of the Lord, what are the things we're thinking that keep us, that allow us to enjoy blessings without giving thanks to the Lord? And here's one. Here's an example of what I have in mind. We might say, it's wonderful that it's raining. We needed it. There's gratitude in that, right? There's appreciation, but gratitude to whom, right? Well, why would we give gratitude to anyone? It's a product of the hydrological cycle, right? It's just the way things happen. It's part of the way the world turns, On the contrary, as you know, we should be thankful to the sovereign, intentional actor behind these inanimate processes, right? But sometimes we we forget that. Because we, more than any generation in history, understand, at least communally, societally, the various and diverse means God uses to providentially manage his universe. So notice that. We understand scientifically how God in a patterned way, regularly manages his universe better than any generation ever has, just through scientific advance. Because of that, we are inclined toward viewing the world as something God created, set in motion, and now allows to run on its own, maybe occasionally intervening for the sake of effecting some miracle. That's often how we think. In other words... A miracle, so think for a moment here with me about how we end up viewing a miracle and how that relates to how we view the regular workings of God or non-workings of God as the earth just does its thing. We tend to think of a miracle as being a moment when God breaks into the universe to interrupt its self-perpetuating natural processes and do something differently in just that one instance and then step back out again and allow these self-perpetuating natural processes to resume. But that is not a biblical perspective on God's providential involvement in his universe. Rather, a miracle is a moment when God changes up his normal ways of providentially running his universe to accomplish his purpose in a different way. But he is not any more involved... In the universe during a miracle, than he is at any other moment. You guys track with me there? Take note of how our modern scientific age can discourage us from thinking about the ultimate causes of things, such that we are often content to know the natural processes, the means the Lord uses without thinking about the God who is behind it all. If we aren't careful, our knowledge, all of this scientific knowledge can actually become a liability. When you, in a pre-modern world, think of like medieval Europe, where you don't have all of the scientific knowledge, you don't understand microbes, microbiology, and there's a plague, people get sick, who, what do you immediately go to, right? God. God. Whether it's the true God or some other gods, that's where you go to for an explanation. We immediately go to, what is the microbe causing this, right? How is it being transmitted? How can we stop the transmission? Those are good things to do. <laughs> but the danger is we tend to stop it, right? We become complacent and content with that. Let me read you here an extended quotation. I'll put it up here by John Piper. This is coming from his book, Providence. Sorry, hopefully you can read that, but I'll read out loud. It is a tragic fact of the modern world that most contemporary, scientifically-minded people think it is more true and significant You're hung up on that. Yes, it's probably truer and more significant to speak of the technicalities of photosynthesis than to say, God makes the grass grow. This is not a sentence for children. It is a sentence, a reality, desperately needed by the soul-shrunken modern man whose world has been reduced from a theater of wonders to a machine running mindlessly on mechanical laws. Of course, a God-entranced Christian may happily go about his scientific work on photosynthesis and put technical names on the ways of God, but woe to us, if we follow the secular spirit of the age into a frame of mind where God is out of sight, out of mind, and out of our everyday conversation about the wonders of growing grass. (laughs) The main reason it is tragic to lose sight of the pervasive and intimate providence of God in the natural world is that it means we also lose sight of the purposes for his providence that God intends for us to see. The writer of Psalm 104 is wonderfully clear on the purposes he has in meditating on God's created world. And these purposes are the same ones that resound throughout scripture as God's great ends in creating and sustaining and owning and governing the natural world. So, one of the most common manifestations here, one of the ways we go about kind of missing, thinking wrongly and missing this truth that uh, every good thing comes from God is by in the moment just thinking it just happened, right? Natural processes are to credit for it. And our modern culture does not bear any of our responsibility for ingratitude. We bear that responsibility, but it's helpful to be aware of of the patterns of thinking And what they tend us toward. So we can work against them. Now one of the most common manifestations of this threat is really simple inattentiveness. Simple inattentiveness. Now when I say simple inattentiveness, I don't mean innocent inattentiveness. But simple inattentiveness. We have a responsibility and privilege to take note of God's many blessings and to thank him for them. But often... We fail to thank God for things simply because we are not even taking note of them as blessings from God. A.W. Pink here in his book Attributes of God says, gratitude is the return justly required from the objects of God's beneficence, yet it is often withheld from our great benefactor simply because his goodness is so constant and so abundant. It is lightly esteemed because it is exercised toward us in the common course of events. It is not felt because we daily experience it. Isn't that true? That is our common experience. We overlook these things because they flow to us so profusely. One of the appeals... We need to hear this morning is an appeal to be attentive to God's providential working in every area of life. Every day, there are hundreds of thousands of opportunities to note the kindness of God in his providential management of the universe for our good and to thank him for it. May we become more attentive to these things. Here's another statement from that same book by John Piper a little bit later. He writes, the world and even thousands of Christians give no praise and thanks to God for millions of daily life-sustaining providences because they do not see the world as the theater of God's wonders. They see it as a vast machine running on mindless natural laws. Both of those quotations, I'll just commend to you kind of as an aside from his book, Providence. These are chapters 16 and 17. And if you want kind of A a way to help you think more along those lines and exercise. Those two chapters are very helpful. Uh, Just thinking more about the universe as God's theater of wonders. Chapters 16 and 17 in that book. And quite frankly, I think that Desiring God even makes that available for free as a PDF. So you can even find that online. Just read those two chapters for free. So the first way we can deny this is... Essentially, just thinking it just happened, attributing responsibility to impersonal causes such as natural processes. Thoughts? Questions? Go ahead, Jed. has been said, famously quoted, that there is not one square inch over the face of the earth over which the risen Christ does not scream. Moderate. Yeah. It's just, that's it's exactly what you've drawn out for us. Yeah. So totally, yep. We believe that God is creator, and we believe that he is in some sense sovereignly in control of everything that happens. But we forget that he is actively working in everything that happens. Go ahead, Joby. Uh, kind of ask what Jed said, one of the things that I think of pretty commonly at work, being an engineering grad student, this temptation is always on my mind. Yeah. Uh, it's been helpful to think of John Piper's praying for orange juice. Mm-hmm. He takes that to, to an extreme degree, but it, it's illustrative of just how outpouring. Says, you know, and yeah, that totally. It is over everything. Every square inch is mine. And being an engineering student, i like, do get to see that in a way that very few people do. Yeah. And the responsibility of that to, to share it with people who can't see it. It's good. Go ahead, yes, It's good. Go ahead, Bobby. I was just going to say, I think, you know, evaluating my own life there are. Many ways that this manifests, for instance, mm-hmm. truth. But one of them is just throwing out common phrases like "good luck," yeah, or, yeah, you know, things like that that you don't don't even think about in the moment. Yeah, right. It's just a natural outflow of our society. Totally. Um, but then, if I stop and think about it, it's like, what did I actually say to that person? Yeah. All I did was encourage them that maybe something will fall into place by. Yeah. Uh, Chance. Yes. <laughs> Which we don't believe in. Yes. And, and so it's just a outflow. How easy it is to forget this truth in just those common daily interactions. Yep. Yep. Totally. you are like a fish. A fish doesn't know it's in water because yeah. it's surrounded by it. Yep. And yeah. So we're surrounded by the works <clears> of God. So mm-hmm. it desensitizes us to gratitude that we need ask God to in our heart to recognize that more and more. Totally. John Piper has an interesting, one of those chapters, I don't remember which one it was chapter 17 maybe, he has an interesting observation that as soon as an airplane, a big commercial airliner, falls out of the sky and hundreds of people die, the whole world is up in arms saying, where was God? But what happens when every day hundreds of thousands of airplanes make it through the sky and land again smoothly and everyone gets off comfortably no one's saying thank the lord for all of those right it's just assumed as a matter of course that that's what happened and then he basically makes the argument that that's a product of our sin nature we want to find that one time that god does something contrary to what we think he ought to have done to excuse all of our thanklessness for all the other things he does I thought wow that's, that's insightful cody uh, pastor and Yeah. And then thinking about the depravity of man totally. and my lack of <clears throat> desiring to understand the depravity of man leads me to very ungrateful thoughts. Mm. But when I realize this, how evil I am, that I am not surrounded as a fish being in water, yep. then I get like really, really ungrateful. But when I, when I totally understand that, oh, and you've got so much because I'm so <clears throat> simply evil, grace just seem to like grow and grow and grow, and yeah. grow you know, in everyday life. Totally. Yep. Totally. Yeah, that sinfulness, that's actually one of the last points I have. I won't go to it today, but just the basically the lie is I'm entitled, right? I'm entitled. So sometimes it's not even so much failing to give thanks to God for something as much as not recognizing something is given to us as being a good thing, right? We're upset that we have this car rather than one that runs a bit better. And it's because I'm entitled for a better one, right? Why would I give thanks to God for this? (laughs) Yeah. Good, I hope this has been a fruitful exercise in thinking through how we apply truth to our our everyday thoughts so that we can be battling for gratitude. And it is an ongoing daily, minute-by-minute process, really. When we wake up, when we go to bed throughout the day, So I would encourage you, I've got basically how I framed up three more lies, and there's many more we could go to, but three more ways we deny this truth that we'll quickly look at next week. Um, But as you think about this this week, think about that yourself. What would you put down there? What are ways that we practically deny the truth that every good thing comes from God? And then, obviously, we've been very narrow here. Every good thing is a very good place to start with giving thanks to God. But there's also every hard thing for which we also need to give thanks to God, right? And so that's like a whole other piece of why can we give thanks to God and what are the truths we need to be believing when there are hard things so that we can give thanks to God for those. But there's a reason that pools lead the steps firstly to the shallow end. <laughs> and so we'll start there, right? With just simply learning to grow and giving thanks to God for every good thing. Um, and then I'm going to be racing to be done in two more weeks, so by the end of September, because beginning in October, Tuck Boyer is going to preach for us once, and then uh, Paul Clark is going to take over, um, and then Bobby helping him a little bit there uh, with working through, do we have we share this already? I don't remember if we have. Um, Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. Just kind of a whole bunch of various areas that we don't tend to take things very seriously, but areas we still need to grow in helping us think through some of those things. So they are very graciously stepping in. Um, I guess really the bottom line is they're they're very competent teachers who will do a great job. That's really (laughs) the only explanation we need. But um, in part, I'm stepping aside. We knew this from back in July because I have a lot going on with teaching this semester and all, and so that will give me a chance to get caught up on some of those things and give them a chance to teach, so... Just want to give you guys a heads up on that so we don't surprise you at the end of September. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Lord, we just simply ask you to make us more attentive to the grandeur of your goodness toward us. May we notice these things and may we notice them not simply as things which are majestic in and of themselves, but things which display your majesty. And may we respond to that with gratitude to you. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to grow in those ways. I pray you would help all of us this week, even just as a tangible outworking of this, to be more attentive to the many good things you give to us and more alert to that threat that we would simply think it's just the way it is. It just happens. And remember that nothing just happens. Everything is under your providential care. And therefore, you must be thanked for everything. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.